are listening to Keep the Main Thing, the Main Thing podcast. To learn more, visit thepineschurch.com. Welcome everyone to the Pines Church online experience. My name is Matt Joy. I am the lead pastor here and I am so excited that you carved out 25 minutes and change to study the Word of God alongside us. For those of you that may be joining us for the very first time, we are in the middle of a series on the lost. It's titled, Welcome Back Home. And so we highlighted at the beginning of our second year as a church, the vision going into our second year was we were going to put an emphasis on discipleship. We were going to put an emphasis on unity, unity amongst the generations, unity in the church, and going after the lost. And as we study God's word, it has a lot to say about reaching out to the lost. And so that's where we're going to be picking up um, today. And to kind of frame all of this, I want to share God's heart. Because the Bible says that God's heart is that none should perish, but that all would repent and find eternal life. That's God's heart. Now, how are we going to do that? Or how is he going to do that should be our question. And the answer is through us, <laughs> through our messy and broken lives, Think about this, the all-powerful God has limited himself to work and move in and through us. You know, we often talk about our faith in God, and rightfully so, but take a moment to just ponder the faith that God has in us to execute his plan that none should perish. God has faith in you. To be obedient to the calling that he's placed on your life. This is the church's, God's people's mission. And when it's not the mission to go after the lost, to seek and to save that which was lost, um, we slowly make it about us. And when there's an us, there's a them. And so let me break this down by reading to you out of Luke 15. Now, I'm going to read a lot of scripture. Do not tune out. This is actually the most important part for you to be leaning in and listening because you're going to hear the voice inside of the voice. But I have to give this, um, I have to read this passage of text so that you understand God's heart on the loss. So in Luke 15, and I'm reading out of the NLT, for those of you that want to follow along, it says this, tax collectors and other notorious sinners, other notorious sinners, I love that, no, no, notorious, other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. So the tax collectors and the sinners were listening to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people and even eating with them. So Jesus, knowing this, perceiving this, hearing the whisperings, the murmurings of their complaining, told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? 
Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness to go search for the one that's lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together all of his friends and all of his neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. And in the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Okay, but Jesus doesn't stop there. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the teachers are complaining because of who Jesus is spending his time with. So he hears these murmurings, he gives them that parable, and then he continues on. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and her neighbors and say, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when one sinner repents. To illustrate the point even further, Jesus told him this story. So Jesus is on a tear. Like he's giving back to back to back parables. And anytime Jesus speaks, shares three parables on one subject, it should have our attention. He's not wanting the Pharisees and the teachers to miss this. He gives this story. A man had two sons, and the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this young son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. And when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food, enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against you, both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me in as your hired servant. So the son, he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, I want you to hear this. His father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for the son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, and now he is found. So the party began. But meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. And when he returned home, he heard the music and the dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants, what's going on? The servant replied, your brother is back. 
and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. And the older brother was angry and would not go inside. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering all your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, and now he is found. Jesus shared these three parables in response to the Pharisees and the teachers of the day gossiping and complaining about him dining with sinners. Let's go back to the beginning of Luke 15. It said, Tax collectors and other notorious, notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people and even eating with them. Pharisees and the teachers represented the church of the day. The Bible says in Proverbs 6, these six things the Lord hates, and the seventh is an abomination, those who sow discord among the brethren. As the Pharisees and the teachers opened their mouths, they were gossiping about Jesus, and they were sowing discord and division. This is why God, or Jesus, okay, had to come so strong and illustrate his point through three parables. See, God hates gossip and he hates complaining because complaining is essentially saying, God, I don't like the way you're doing things. And if I were in your shoes, I would do them a lot differently. And that's exactly what the Pharisees and the teachers were saying. We don't like the way that Jesus is living. We don't like who Jesus is spending his time with. But there were others listening. And so Jesus had to correct them. But there's a bigger issue at play. And that's this. Beyond the gossiping and beyond the complaining, the Pharisees and the teachers of the day had the wrong focus. And so Jesus is trying to bring into, back into focus what truly matters. See, Jesus shares these parables to help them see what they should see. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it like this, the church has an unconditional obligation to the victims of any ordering of society, even if they do not belong to the Christian community. Who is Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Oh, just a, just a preacher in the time of World War II, a German preacher in Nazi Germany. So he understood this principle better than most of us. Also, this is highlighting the way the preachers and teachers are seeing it in the way that Jesus is seeing it, a fundamental problem that I have found in the church, and that is this, the difference between religion and relationship. Religion responds to rules. You should not be here. You should be here. You should be doing this. You should not be doing this. Relationship responds in love. Jesus was compelled 
by his compassion for the lost. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. So of course he was going to spend a majority of his time with the ones that needed it. But the Pharisees were looking through the lens of religion and their focus was off. Going back to Luke 15, it's, he says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 in the wilderness and go search for the lost one until he finds it? And what about the woman? Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Isn't she going to light a lamp and sweep the entire house to find the lost coin and do it until she finds it? And then lastly, with the parable of the, of the prodigal son, um, so he, when he returned home, while he was still away off, his father saw him coming, filled with love. What was his focus? Love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. You know, I did a little research on this, and it was undignified for a man to run. In fact, they said men stopped running at 21 because they wore like, uh, you know, robes and, and it, was, it was just considered undignified. So they would let the young people run. So the fact that the father shamed him, took the shame on himself to take the shame off of his son and that he was so moved that he ran to him and he left everyone else shows you the father's heart. Now, we all know this. We all know this, okay? Jesus is telling us in this parable that the animal, the item, the person that lost meant a great deal to the people who lost it, okay? The shepherd, nothing meant more than finding his lost sheep. To the woman, nothing meant more than finding that one silver coin. To the father, nothing meant more to him than to find his son who was lost, not just geographically, but spiritually, so much so that that became their mission and that became their focus. <gasps> Are you saying that I'm not God's focus? Okay. Are you saying that God's not focused on me because he's focused on the lost? You're going to run out of here saying, Matt, Pastor Matt said that God doesn't care about us. He cares about him. This is how the Pharisees and the teachers were seeing it. But let me give you this analogy, and this is like a super crude analogy, but and it, and it kind of loses a little bit of its context through video, through podcasts, but just, just track with me for a second, okay? Okay? Where are your keys? Okay? Almost everybody knows where your keys. If you're at home, they're probably sitting next to the, you know, the door. If you're sitting in, you know, in an auditorium at a church service, you know that they're in your pocket, they're in your jacket, and you haven't spent any time worrying about those. Why? Because you know where your keys are. Now, your keys are important. You need your keys. You're going to make sure that you have your keys all the time, but your keys aren't lost. They're in your pocket, so you're not going to spend, your focus is not where your keys are right now. Your focus is on something else. So it's not that you're not important. It's not that the 99 aren't important. They're just as important as the one. But the 99 don't need the focus right now. The one does because the one is wandering off. They all share the same. They're all unique and, and important to God. 
And this is what he says in Luke 15, 7, in the same way there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over the 99 others who are righteous and haven't stayed away. In Luke 15, 10, in the same way there's joy in the presence of God's angels when one sinner repents. And in Luke 15, 32, we had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. These parables are meant to place the focus where the church belongs, where the church should be directing its attention to, where the church should be directing its resources to, where the church should be willing to roll up their sleeves and get dirt under their fingernails to labor in the fields in bringing in the harvest. The purpose of the church is to go after the lost. That's why Jesus broke down three parables when the teachers and the Pharisees were complaining that he was spending his time with sinners. And ultimately, Jesus is like, of course, where else would I be? The healthy don't need a doctor. So, of course, that should be our focus. And the church gets wonky it gets weird when the people in the church demand the attention and try to take it away, which is what the Pharisees and the teachers were doing away from the ones that need it. See, in each parable, something precious was lost, which was lost is most precious to the owner. And in each parable, the owner takes great care and great effort to find what was lost. And in each parable, the owner rejoices when, was, when what was lost is found. See, and then in the last parable, I, I want to kind of land this plane with this. In the last parable, Jesus then deals with the heart posture of the older brother to highlight the dangers of losing our focus. And he's intentional to do that at the end because he's bringing this thing full circle. So he's highlighted to the Pharisees and the teachers that, look, the priority is to focus on the loss, and this is why I'm spending my time, but there's a bigger issue at place. Not only your focus, but your heart is off too. Because the Bible says that the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But this was his reply. All these years I've slaved for you, and never once refused to do a single thing that you did you had asked me to do and in all that time you've never given me even one young goat for a feast with my friends i want to highlight those words all these years i've slaved for you you see the son's problem the pharisee's problem the teacher's problem is that they were working for favor rather than from favor that they truly hadn't yielded to their identity as a son or daughter of God, and that everything in the Father's kingdom was made available to them. And so they stepped into, the, into religion that puffs up, that looks down, which is what the Pharisees and the teachers of the day, and they had a striving performance. I have to earn these things when these things were already made available. It, as being a son or daughter of God. And I remember when I was reading through this, preparing this, the Holy Spirit hit me with this. What would have happened 
if when the son came to his senses in that pig farm and came back to his father's house, if, the, if he ran into the older brother before he ran into the father. Remember, the father saw him from a, a far distance and then began to run to him. But what if the father was in the house and the older brother was there? Sadly, the older brother probably would have beat him down with religion and not spending time with him, telling him that he needed to clean up. And you could almost just see the image of the younger brother hanging his head and returning back to, to, to that pig farm. And that just breaks my heart because there are many in the body of Christ that are bound by religion, that are constantly sizing people up, and you measure here, and you measure, measuring themselves against one another, and it breeds into legalism, and anytime you puff yourself up, you gotta push somebody down, and that's the opposite of the gospel. We are messengers of the good news, and we should be willing to go out there and to share it with everyone, inviting them to our table. See, this is the problem that the teachers had. They said, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And this is the problem of the older brother. See, that's where some of our hearts are today. We want the church to grow, but we don't want to deal with the very people that we need for the church to grow. Because we know deep down inside that more effort will need to be placed on them than on us. That's why the greatest opposition to evangelism isn't the enemy, isn't our culture, but often it's us. It's the way that we view one another. It's the focus we put on things that, that don't matter. And I'm not saying that the things that the Pharisees focused on didn't matter. I'm just saying they neglected the weightier matters that were standing before them. Last week, we shared the parable of the Good Samaritan, how the priest and the Levite, seeing this man beaten within inches of his life, stripped of all of his belongings, naked and bruised, walked over to the other side to do ministry when they had the opportunity to do ministry right in front of them. And so we have a responsibility and an obligation. The lost matter to God and they should matter to us. The harvest will only be brought in if we go out and reach the lost. At the Pines Church, we are going to be a church that is about the lost, okay? We're not gonna sit there and worry and fret over the optics of who we're doing lunch with, of who we're being seen with, and who we're talking with. Why? Because those are the people that we should be spending our time with and leading them, inviting them to the table, to the church, so that they can hear the good news. And we're going we're gonna to push away from religion because we know that it, it sets up pride and it takes residence in our hearts. And we're going to move and respond in humility and be moved by compassion and let relationship, our relationship with the Father and the love that he has for his children to bring in that harvest. I want to pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much. I thank you, Father, that you share with us in your word what is near and dear to your heart. 
And so, Lord, this morning, this afternoon, this evening, whenever people happen to be watching or listening, we invite you to enlarge our capacity, that our hearts would be filled with love for the lost, that, Lord, we would have your eyes and your ears to see and hear the needs that are all around us, and that we would have the humility to invite and invest in those that need the good news. Lord, let us be a people that reaches out to the lost. Let us be a people that represents Christianity as relationship with our divine creator. And Father, we receive this in faith and we ask that you would get all the glory in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, thank you guys so much. Until next time, Godspeed. Thank you so much for listening to Keep the Main Thing, the Main Thing, a sermon resource provided by the Pines Church in Bangor, Maine. We'd love to hear from you, so leave us a review on this podcast. If you have any questions, visit thepineschurch.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.